You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Thank you, Emily. Well, good morning. Great to see you in worship. Uh, 34 degrees this morning. I was happy. I remember this time last year, I was like, why did I move to Iowa? So we're, we're just enjoying this light winter. Uh, we're in a series uh, on the Gospel of Luke titled The Real Jesus. Uh, Luke did his homework. We learned that in chapter one, writing to a Roman official named Theophilus to persuade him about the realities of who Jesus Christ is and what he came to do. A number of years ago, I had the privilege to uh, join some golfers in a fundraiser. It was an event to raise uh, money for digging wells in Africa. And so after the 18-hole scramble, we had dinner, and then there was a silent auction. And uh, one of the uh, pieces that caught my attention was a uh, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, uh, Pro-Am golf thing. And on the bottom is their rookie cards, tops, sealed, really cool piece. And I like golf. And so I said, you know, I'll jumpstart the bid here. I think I put $200, $250 just to get it going, wanted to support the, uh, the well effort. Well, nobody else bid. And I came home with what I thought to be a really cool piece of sports paraphernalia. Well, here's what happened. It was just a few days later. The Tiger Woods scandal broke, headlines, news, it went viral globally. Guess what happened to this beautiful sports memorabilia in the closet, at least for a while. But I found it interesting, there was a lot of conversation when this scandal happened. And one of the things that got my attention, of course, as a pastor was when Britt Humes, he is a uh, Fox uh, analyst, a political a guy, he was on a Sunday morning talk show, and someone asked him this question. He says, what should Tiger Woods do to save his career? And here's what uh, Britt said, and I quote, Tiger, turn to the Christian faith, and notice this next statement, and you can make a total recovery and then become a great example to the world. Now, as you can imagine... That created quite a firestorm. And the media's response was incredibly confrontational. For instance, Tom Shales, a media critic at the Washington Post said, it was the most ridiculous remark of 2010. Thank you, Brit, for offending a half a billion Buddhists. So as I read that story, I had to ask a few questions. What would compel Tiger Woods to go live with such a bold comment about total recovery through Jesus Christ. What would inspire him to take such a risk knowing there was going to be an immediate backlash? He knew it. Well, we come to a passage this morning that I think answers that question. And so I'd like to invite every one of us to turn to our Bibles, Luke chapter 4. 
And we are going to begin with verse 14. We have a lot of material to cover. And so every now and then, the pastor is going to ask the congregation for a favor. Here's the favor I'm asking for. Sit up straight. If you see the guy next to you, gal next to you dozing, do one of this. Open your Bible. We have a lot of material to cover. It's going to be one of those thinking messages, not to say that others aren't, but this is a little bit more content. So now you're at Luke 4, 14 through 30, but let me set the stage before we read this passage. It's very important uh, because Luke is a genius in his writing this gospel. From Luke 1, 1 to Luke 4, 13, we call this the preparation stage for ministry. Track with me. I want to connect some of the dots over the past few weeks. So what happens, Jesus is a young lad, 12 years old, he's in the temple, his parents, you know, wow, how could you treat us like this? We've been looking for you for a few days. I must be about my father's business. That's age 12. Then Luke 2, 52 closes with this statement, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and man, went back to Nazareth as a 12 years old and was obedient to his parents. A few weeks ago, we examined the baptism of Christ. What a beautiful, beautiful scenario where heavens open, God the Father declares, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Spirit of God descends as a dove and empowers Christ for ministry. What was the next phase of the ministry? Luke 4 opens, he was full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit to go into the wilderness for training, for preparation. And what happens there? Uh, He overcomes Satan, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and now we're ready to go public in our ministry. So this is a hinged chapter in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to see in verse 14, we go from uh, the wilderness in the south to Galilee in the north. So if you have your devices, the screen is up there, follow with me. Then Jesus returned to Galilee. Notice Luke is relentless in the power of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being acclaimed by everyone. He came to Nazareth, which is south, southern Galilee, where he had been brought up. Notice this next phrase, as usual, he goes to worship. He enters the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. He's being recognized now as a teacher, a rabbi, a contributor. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, notice this, he found the place where it was written, I love this, back to the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me. Anointed me to do what? Preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, Make note of that phrase. It's very important. That's the Old Testament year of Jubilee. That's Leviticus 25, and we're going to come back to that. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. What a great congregation he had. He began saying to them, 
Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. We know what scripture it is. It's Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by his gracious words that came from his mouth. Then something happens. Yet, they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Wait a second. This is the guy we grew up with. This is Mary and Joseph's kid. And he's now calling himself, they knew exactly what he was doing, the Messiah. Then he said to them, so Christ gets a little bit bold. If you think Brit Hume was bold, check this out. Then he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, doctor, heal yourself. So all we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do hear in your hometown. Why would you treat northern Galilee and Capernaum better than us in Nazareth, southern Galilee, where you grew up, your family, your friends? Then Christ gets a little bit more direct. But I say to you, there were certainly, or he said to them, I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, notice, but to a widow of Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had serious skin diseases, probably leprosy. Yet not one of them was healed, only Naaman the Syrian. Now, folks, picture this. Could you imagine this happening in church Sunday morning? When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was not happy. It was a bad sermon day. They were enraged. And in their rage, they got up, drove Jesus out of the town, brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, and noticed their intention, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd, and he went on his way. Pretty exciting day in worship, right? Tell you, go home, social media would be kicking in. You should have been there. Sermon started out good, didn't end so well. I hope we'll be a little bit more polite today, especially to the preacher, right? Now, if you thought the media and Tom Shales was hard on Brit Hume when he had advised Tiger Woods for a total recovery through Jesus Christ, how about the people of Nazareth? This is Christ's first sermon. And how about the response? And so the question that came up uh, at the elders' meeting as we were processing this text is, what is going on here? Why did the people of Nazareth first respond favorably to Jesus, but then in a few moments, in the same sermon, I take the scriptures for face value, they tried to kill him. Well, I think the biblical answer is far-reaching. But let's start, if we could, 
with Luke 4.19, and let's examine how Jesus ends his reading of Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. Now, if you have your Bibles and you're good with the Old Testament, I'd love for you to flip over to Isaiah 61. I want you to see something, because it's so absolutely intentional by Christ and absolutely necessary to understand what's going on here. So, what happens with... uh, Jesus' reading of Isaiah. He rolls up the scroll. He reads this messianic uh, passage. Everybody knew that in the synagogue. And here's how he ends it. He came, the Messiah, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now again, we know this for certain. Every Jew understood that to be the year of Jubilee. Every Jew understood this is, wow, one out of 50 years, God's favor is going to come in such an exceptional way. One time in a lifetime, Jubilee gets to be celebrated, and it is here. This is hallelujah time. This is like grand. That's why there was an initial favor. Now, if you have your Bibles in Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, Let me show you what Jesus quoted from and show you the one nuance and change. Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, the spirit of the Lord God is on me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Notice, so crucial to understanding, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But Isaiah doesn't stop there and the day of our God's vengeance. Do you see the difference? Jesus did not include the day of God's vengeance. He intentionally focused all attention on jubilee, the day of God's favor. In Luke, we're going to discover, folks, and it's so beautiful, That God's favor to all people is primary. And any note of damnation, condemnation, judgment is going to be discarded. Now that was not only frustrating news, but it was also bad news for Israel. The Jews longed for a Messiah that would rescue and release them from what, don't miss this, from the oppression and the tyranny of Rome, Roman occupation. There was paganism scattered all throughout Israel in the first century. And they wanted a Messiah to to overcome Rome and set them free. Here's what Israel believed in the first century. They believed in a personal national Messiah who would come as conquering king for them and them alone. Israel Messiah was on their side and everyone else was on the wrong side. However, Jesus brings clarity teaching that the real Messiah is not in the first century is not coming to bring God's vengeance to Israel's enemies or to overcome the oppression of Rome, but rather the real Messiah has come to usher in the kingdom of God and brings God's favor to who? To all humanity. Now, folks, for us, that doesn't seem radical. I promise you this, in the worldview of the first century, that is absolutely over the top. That is revolutionary. 
their paradigm, their worldview. They wanted a Messiah, Ben David, a conquering king. Jesus comes in the spirit of Messiah, Ben Joseph, a suffering servant. And that's where you see these beautiful Psalms, Psalm 22. The whole book of Isaiah is literally outlined that the suffering servant would come first and the conquering king, Revelation 19, will have his day. Now, if you're not persuaded to illustrate God's favor and grace for all people, Jesus provides three portraits in this passage. This is where you put your thinking cap on. Portrait number one, Capernaum. Look at Luke 4.23, please. <coughs> Excuse me. Then he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Doctor, heal yourself. So. <coughs> Excuse me. So we've all heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. If you're taking notes, this is very important. Capernaum is one of three cities in Galilee where Jesus' ministry primarily took place. It's called the Evangelical Triangle. Two other cities, Corzine and Bethsaida. You'll read all about that in the four gospel accounts. So this is one where we spend a lot of time. The other thing we know absolutely about Capernaum is it had a large Gentile population. And that was rather rare for this region, why the Gentiles were more on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. So here's what's going on. You're hanging out in northern Galilee. You're doing miracles, you're teaching, you're blessing, and it included Gentiles, and you forget about us down here, your own people, your own family, your own neighbors. There was a jealousy, but it was more than that, folks. They did not want God's favor to extend to non-Jewish people. There was such a high prejudice. There was such a bigotry, and it even extended to God's favor. I know you're struggling because we're, we're uh, separated for 2,000 years. We're separated from our worldview. But the next two portraits will clarify what's going on. Portrait number two, Elijah and the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. Follow with me, verses 25 and 26. He also said, I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day. When the sky was shut up, and for three years and six months, while a great famine came over all the land. Why was there famine? Why was the sky shut up, no rain, for three and a half years? Folks, this is the loving discipline of God. This is a dark period in Israel's history. And so there were widows who had needs, and look what Jesus said. Yet Elijah was not sent to any one of them but to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. Wow, you talk about the preacher being bold. You talk about him adding fuel to the fire by suggesting during a period of spiritual darkness, God's favor is more for a Gentile pagan widow than for any of the widows in Israel. Now, the title of the message makes it clear, God's favors for all. 
But what Israel had to learn is that our God is a God of all people, and he cares for Jew and Gentile alike. They were covenant people to do what? Bless all people with the good news. Now, finally, if we're still struggling to embrace this portrait number three, look at verse 47. Elijah's successor is Elisha, and he was given a double portion of God's spirit. Luke 4, 47, and in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had serious skin diseases, probably leprosy. Yet not one of them was healed. Same narrative, only Naaman the Syrian. Now, please hear me. In this final scenario, Jesus goes for the juggler. Because we learn from the historian Josephus that the Syrians and the Galileans, this is Josephus' phrase, were mortal enemies. If you think, um, you know, the, the Jews and the Samaritans butted heads, this was way worse. They were mortal enemies. So the cumulative total of God's care and favor for Gentile Capernaum, a widow in Sidon, a pagan lemper living in enemy territory of Syria results in rage. So, morning worship started out pretty good, would you agree? Didn't end so well. There's tension in Nazareth. Why? The Jews are looking for one thing. It's a nationalistic Messiah who would lead a revolt against Rome, bringing release, freedom, and emancipation from the Roman oppression and occupation. Once we capture this, we understand why there's such great tension in Jesus coming as a suffering servant, Jesus offering his life a ransom for many. And we're going to see that throughout all the gospel account. So they were not interested in a Messiah who favors all people, especially Roman Gentiles. For Luke, this tension erupts time and time again. And the tension is this, folks. It's a tension between Judaism, and don't miss this, and God's word. And the reason I say that is this. God's word, the Old Testament, is absolutely clear that he favors all people. Go back with me to the covenant of Abraham. God chooses Abram from Ur the Chaldees, from paganism. Abraham had no spiritual resume. He calls him to be a covenant people. Father Abraham, notice what happens in Genesis 12, 3. He says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. Man, your, your offspring, your inheritance is going to be like the stars of the heaven, like the sands of the, the shores. But Abraham, I'm blessing you. Why? So all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your seed, Jesus Christ. Folks, that goes back to day one. You can't miss it. How did they miss it? I think a lot's going on here. There's a little bit of spiritual pride. There's a lot of hurts. Israel had lived in oppression for a lot of their history, taken captives by the Assyrians with Sennacherib, taken captive by the Babylonians with Nebuchadnezzar, living in captivity for 70 years, seeing Jerusalem and the temple destroyed. And then during the intertestament periods, there's a lot of fighting going on. You might have heard of the Maccabean, kind of a messianic family. 
And now here's Rome. More pagan, more polytheistic, more idolatrous, and Israel had enough. Give us a conquering king, not someone who's going to redeem the world and show God's favor to everybody, but who's going to bless us and us alone. First century Jews were much like the prophet Jonah. You remember Jonah? God says, I love Nineveh, and they're so far from me. Jonah, you have my word, and I want to empower you to take a message to Nineveh. Call them to repent. Call them to look up. Tell them of my love and my favor. How does Jonah respond? One of the oldest port cities in the ancient world, Joppa, he goes west to Tarshish and not east to Nineveh. There was no hearts to see Gentile, pagan people experience the favor of God. And so we read in Jonah 4, 2, and it's really a testimony to God's grace. Jonah says, I knew, Lord, that you are merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, going back to what Jamie shared, and one who relents from sending disaster. I knew if I went to Nineveh, guess what would happen? You'd bless them. You'd show your favor. Your grace would abound. They would repent. And my goodness, that's the point. And yet there was such resistance on sharing the love, gospel, and favor of God. So let's go back to Jubilee. So Jesus' first sermon in his hometown of Nazareth is all about God's favor and what the Old Testament book calls uh, the year of Jubilee. I only have a few minutes to unpack Jubilee. I hope you'll study and learn more about it, but here's a few things to learn. Number one, the details are found in Leviticus 25, and I'm going to sum it up for you. Here's what God does with Jubilee. Israel, every 50th year, once in a lifetime, here's what needs to happen. With no conditions, no qualifications, I want everybody, everybody in Israel to hit the reset button. And this is fun. This is exactly what's happening. All debt is canceled. All slaves are freed. Why did they become slaves? Probably through poverty, and they had to sell themselves into slavery. And all land slash property restored. Let me ask you a question. Would that be a good day? Especially if you were in high debt. Especially if you had to sell yourself as a slave to provide for your family. Especially if your, your family estate, your, your property, your inheritance is gone to someone else. God says, I care for you. And so here's an opportunity once in a lifetime to hit the reset button. The year of Jubilee, please don't miss this. It's God's grace. It's his favor. It's his kindness on steroids. It doesn't get any better than Jubilee. Could you imagine practicing Jubilee in 21st century America? How many of you would be happy with that right now? All debt canceled. Nate would be shopping last week because it gets canceled this week. He's a smart guy, that guy. So here's the question. We already saw it. How did the people of Nazareth respond to God's favor, to God's gracious jubilee. Look at verses 28 through 30 again. This should break our hearts, guys. God got my attention this week. There's no doubt about it through, through just studying this. 
Heath, how compassionate are you? How caring are you for all people? Where's your heart? You see that people are like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They need the Lord. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove them out of town, brought them to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl them over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Of course, that's supernatural. That's spectacular. Let me show you a picture. This is the actual place where this happened. We know this through history and archaeology. Nazareth was a tiny place in the first century, maybe 200 people. Ellen and I were there. We, we looked at this precipice. That's what it's called, the Mount of Precipice. They literally ushered him out, ready to dump him over the cliff. And then, of course, it wasn't Christ's time, and he moves away. So the first century Jews responded like Jonah, but much worse. Not only did they say no to God's favor for all people, they literally were prepared to destroy the message of God's favor. And don't miss this, the messenger of God's favor. I think Luke has given us a shadow of the substance to come. I think he's given us a foretaste of really what's ultimately going to happen. Calvary will come, but it's on Jesus' time, not on man's time. So, fast forward 2,000 years later, how must we respond? Luke 4.19 is very important. Jesus came, and when you think about sharing the love and gospel of Christ, when you think about a course like Alpha, when you think about ministry in Jesus' name, this is the heart and soul, folks. Jesus came to do one thing, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's grace. It's God blessing us who don't deserve it. It's jubilee, the reset button, and it is beautiful. I'd like for you to look again at verse 20, because I think there's a wonderful statement there. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant. He sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him and began by saying to them, and I love this word, today. Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. I find it interesting that in Luke's gospel, the first public word of Jesus as an adult, apart from reading of the scripture, is today. Today is a key word here. Today, Jesus declares, God's word and promises are being fulfilled. Aren't you thankful? Not someday, but today, God's purposes are being ushered in. His kingdom is coming today is never allowed to become yesterday. Why? Because the scripture says, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Paul plays off that theme to the Corinthian church. Now, today, is jubilee. So the question, have you experienced jubilee? Have you experienced this favor? Today, right now, could be the day of your salvation. And so if you have your Connect card, we're going to tie it all together with a few thoughts. The blessing. Because of the gift of God's favor, jubilee, each one of us should embrace Jesus as the real Messiah, the Messiah and Joseph, the suffering servant, the Savior of the world. So three thoughts or four thoughts on this gift. Gift number one, forgiveness. The year of Jubilee was launched in a very fun way, and so we're going to do our best to see if we could replicate what took place about 3,000 years ago. What they would do is they would bring out a ram's horn, 
uh, a shofar, if you will, a trumpet, they called it. And so Nate Heemstra has a ram swarm, and he's going to try to launch the year of Jubilee, the Day of Atonement. Come on, Nate, I'm counting on you, buddy. All right. (laughs) Sometimes you take what you can get, right? Guys, to Leviticus 25.9. Then you are to sound a trumpet loudly. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you will sound it throughout the land on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is that one sacred day each year where the Lord proclaimed to all the people one thing, all is forgiven. The Day of Atonement is a day of forgiveness. And so God launches it with a loud trumpet, atonement's beginning, all is forgiven. Every wrong thought, every hurtful word, Every diabolical deed, every impure motive, forgiven. That's the day of atonement. That's jubilee. In Luke 4, 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news. This is the gospel. Jubilee is the gospel. The sin debt has been paid for. Have you experienced God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ? One of the greatest gifts, folks. Are you sharing that message of hope? Gift number two, freedom. Leviticus 25.10. I'm comparing Leviticus and Isaiah and Luke 4. Leviticus 25.10. You are to consecrate the 50th year and proclaim freedom in the land for all its inhabitants. Again, once in a lifetime. Jubilee is Israel's emancipation proclamation. Every 50 years. Anyone who was sold into slavery was to be released and set free. Where would they return? They returned to their family, to their home, to their land, and they would rebuild. Folks, it doesn't get any better than that. Luke 4.18, Jesus said he sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives. The greatest captivity, of course, according to Romans 6 and 7, is being captive to sin. Paul uses this metaphor, and it truly is a biblical metaphor, that outside of Christ we're a slave to sin. Please hear me, don't miss this. And a slave must obey their master. What happens? When you experience Christ, when you experience Jubilee, you're freed from slavery, and you must obey another master, Jesus, and righteousness. That's the message of hope. And so in Romans 8, 1 through 2, Paul wrote, Therefore, no condemnation exists for those in Christ Jesus. Notice this, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. I hope you're experiencing freedom in Christ. I hope you see that we have the privilege in Christ to be slaves to righteousness. As we talked about last week, to have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil to live Hooper victorious. Gift number three, fresh start socially and economically. And friends, this is beautiful, and I really struggled to kind of figure out how to tie it into this morning, but we have to. Because the more we go through Luke, the more we're going to see that Luke cares for the poor. Let me just give you a few thoughts, 50,000 feet. Over 2,000 verses in the Bible address 
caring for the poor, 2,000. God has a heart for those who have less. Luke's going to play off that theme constantly. When you compare the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew, who says, blessed are the poor in spirit, Luke will say this, blessed are the poor, because God cares. And if God cares, we should care. That's what Jubilee is all about. Do your part to help others reset their life financially and socially, meaning community. When you're a slave, you're not part of the community. You've lost your rights. But when you're set free, you come back in to the community. It's beautiful. So the real question is this. How do we help without hurting? And the answer, folks, isn't just money. It isn't. In fact, money sometimes can do more harm than good. One of the things we believe at Westwind is ministry partnerships. So we want to support ministries that have Christ at the center, like single-parent provision. We're partnering with them. We have one thing in common. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have resources. They have people. How can we help? That's why the fourth and fifth Graders are inviting us to participate. Here's what will happen in Philippians 1. Paul says, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. We want to love well at Westwood. We want to love with knowledge. We want to meet real needs. We want to partner where there is holistic transformation. Blessing bags are beautiful. I tell you equally or more beautiful is that the gospel of Christ comes with the blessing back. We encourage you, um, participate if you could. Now, finally, and this, this one's a little bit more unusual, but hopefully I'll be clear. Gift number four, faithfulness. Faithfulness. Track with me. You're familiar with uh, the Sabbath day, right? One day out of seven, take a break get rest. Just unplug so you can be renewed for the next week. Then in the world of farming, every seven years, God encouraged Israel, take off that seventh year. Give the land a Sabbath. Give the land a rest. Tracking with me? For us, one day a week. For farmers, one year out of seven. Now, every 50th year, we're taking a complete day off from the land, from farming. We're hitting the reset button. All debts paid, all slaves returned, all properties renewed. Guess what happens? Year 49 and year 50 are like the double whammy. Because the seventh year of seven, they would take off and the 50th year. So two years in a row, farmers, just imagine what this might be like. Two years in a row, you let your land rest. We hit reset, and that's hard. In fact, it's very hard because you're saying right now, God, I have to trust you for two years of provision. You know what's sad about Israel? As best we can discern, they never practiced jubilee, never once. I tried to research and see if I could get some examples. It never really happened according to this beautiful plan. But guess what? Jesus is in the synagogue. He takes out the shofar, probably a little better than you. He blew that baby. Jubilee is here. Reset is here. 
it is God's favor, not only on Israel, but all people. And everybody says, well, one person said amen. Thank you, Tina. Nate, come on up here, buddy. Let's sing a song. We're closing very strategic this morning with a beautiful song. It's called The Goodness of God. Please stand with me. The trumpet's blown. Forgiveness, freedom, fresh start, God's faithfulness. You're going to sing in just a moment or two these words. All my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing, we will sing of the goodness of God. Do you believe those words? Have you experienced his forgiveness, his freedom, his fresh start, his faithfulness? If you have, sing out, church. If you have not, today could be the day of your salvation. Call upon the Lord, he'll hear you. Let's sing together. Oh my. 